0: Welcome to the Vulnerable Scientist Podcast, a space for scientists to be honest and authentic on their stories. This is your host Sara Nyakeri. Here is the second episode of a new series where we are letting Kenyans give their views on the recent GMO ban being lifted after a cabinet meeting on October 3rd, which was chaired by the Kenyan president, William Ruto, who happens to be a scientist with a PhD in ecology. This comes after a 10-year ban by a previous public health minister. After our previous episode, where we had a cancer researcher Dr. Dr. Oria, to give his views, I promised to talk to someone who has made a GMO before so that they can explain to us more about this thing. In this episode, we have Dr. Susan Moenga.
1: My name is Susan Moenga. I am a postdoctoral research associate at ICRISAD here in Nairobi. I am also a computational biologist for a seed protein company called NuSisa, based in California. I have a background in biotechnology. I got my undergraduate training at in uh, the Kenyatta University here in Nairobi, and my master's degree at Wageningen University, and then moved over to University of California, Davis for my PhD in plant biology. So this is really a plant biology, plant biotechnology. That's kind of my, my area.
0: Could you explain what uh, GMO is
1: and how it is made? Well, so I like to call, I prefer to call them genetically engineered organisms and less genetically modified. And um, I'll explain in a second why that is. So genetically modified organisms, as we generally like to term uh, them, are um, living things that have intentionally been artificially modified at the genetic level. Um, and so our characteristics for any living thing, be it a microbe or an animal, plant, a human being, um, the characteristic of a living thing is determined by two things. Uh, the genetics, which is largely the genome or the DNA, as we like to refer to it, as well as the environment. Um, and so when you artificially modify one of those things which is the dna then you end up with a genetically engineered organism so the reason why i prefer the engineered rather than modified is because um, engineered shows intent and that's the most important part of defining what genetically modified organisms are um, rather than modified because modification can occur without the intent of say a person in this case um, uh, resulting in an organism that's not genetically the same as it was before.
0: That's quite interesting. So I guess I'll ask you, is improved Kenyeji improved uh, grafting, breeding, genetic engineering or genetic modification? So,
1: <laughs> so improvement. So we've had, we've been breeding, we've been improving uh, things around us for as long as human beings have been tinkering with the environment. Uh, and, and one of them, for instance, that we can easily recognize is, you know, as you mentioned, improved uh, chicken, for instance. Uh, we've been intentionally, you know, taking a chicken that we like a certain trade about, we take another chicken and, you know, we kind of interfere right there and make sure that they mate. We get eggs, we hatch uh, little chicks that have now maybe a combined set of traits that we really like. Now while we are tinkering with that process, which is similar to to grafting. So, you know, perhaps we like uh, the fact that um, a sudden plant is able to take up water really, really well, but then we are not really interested in the product of its above ground biomass. And so what we think is, oh, well, what if I went in and I took advantage of that root system and I put in something, maybe I want oranges. So I go, I take um, a lemon uh, trunk and I graft an orange on top of it. So I'm utilizing root or the root system uh but then the product on at the top is quite different from what originally it was intended so there's tinkering there yes indeed but it's not happening at the molecular level so we call this this is still within conventional breeding um and so that's slightly different so that's why modification is a bit of a a misnomer in a way because you know modification essentially means that yeah okay well there may be tinkering you may be intentional uh, but it's not necessarily being engineered it's not at the molecular level being engineered and that really is the distinct difference between conventional breeding versus um, this molecularly enabled kind of uh, genetic modification.
0: So the ones that we're talking about right here the GMOs that were banned were from the molecular level
1: Yes, so the ones that we are addressing today this is at the molecular level. So the way that we get to this um genetically engineered organisms is that we go in um we even without necessarily having figured out the whole uh, the whole expanse or the spectrum of the whole genome, we can go in and insert a piece of DNA whose whose function perhaps we really very well understand, and that could be because of its source. It could be coming from another plant that has a characteristic we like, like disease resistance, and we insert that DNA into the target organism. And then hopefully we do get the treat that we're looking for, the treat that we have borrowed from another another organism. So that's what we refer to as genetically modified organisms or uh, genetically engineered organisms would be the ones where at the molecular level we've gone in and inserted a foreign piece of DNA that is not inherent to that particular target.
0: Is there a danger to pick f- genes from another like for example an animal and putting them into a plant or from a bacteria and putting them into a plant or is it safer to put it fr- to get it from a similar plant to another plant for example?
1: Right. So that's a really important question because I think this is where a lot of people struggle with. Um, is it dangerous? So my, you know, off the bat answer would be well, no. Uh, and part of that is because even in nature, this we call it horizontal gene transfer when when there's gene flow happening across organisms that are not close genetically speaking. And and so just very quickly, there's a paper that came out recently of um, scientists that found a whole range of genes like. Fifty of them of plant DNA, plant plant um, specific or genes or genes that are really distinctly known to be uh, um, a plant kind or plant type that were found in insects that tend to live on plants or survive on plants, and so nature by itself has allowed for this kinds of uh, processes to occur um and somehow it it helps the organisms that are participating in this exchange of, of of genetic material to to be even fitter than their counterparts that exist within that environment so it's difficult to really say is it dangerous because you know what is a reference right um, if it's already naturally occurring, and what we're doing is now learning from nature. So we're going in and saying, well, if this is happening already in nature, like some bacteria were already transferring genes. Uh, so for instance, the bacteria that's commonly used as a as a vector, as a vehicle to move a gene from one plant to another or um, a gene from, say, a bacteria or an animal to... Another organism, um, this this bacteria was already doing this by itself. And this has been known already and I think that the earliest documentation for this bacteria transferring its DNA into plants it goes back millennia, right? So what is dangerous exactly? At the molecular level, DNA is non living, right? So it, it really it doesn't matter, it's the protein for which that they code for that then we start thinking about now, if we're making a protein that would otherwise be toxic to a person, then yes, of course, then that would be quite dangerous um and that I mean of course, then we come back to the table as to what's the interest, what's the purpose of that uh, of that particular um experiment of of transferring a toxic or rather gene that's um coding for a toxic protein into a plant and You know, toxic for whom, for the consumer or not, but DNA itself, whether it's coming from an animal, whether it's coming from bacteria, DNA itself, I mean, it's not toxic. It's just, it's molecular material. It's all over. It's everywhere. Right. So have you ever made a GMO? Yes, I have. Do you want to talk more about it in brief? (laughs) Sure. So in my day-to-day work, in my day-to-day experimentation, and this goes way back, uh, like I mentioned, my background is biotechnology. And so, you know, some of the most common experiments you do are um, really tinkering with these kinds of things. And I I say tinkering to, you know, to show that this is a learning process, uh, not so much that we're just taking liberty with nature and just like, you know, messing around and tinkering. Um, uh, So, we we learn so for instance in my during my master's degree i i studied two different uh plant systems that have they're, they're genetically they're quite similar um and they're both trees so they're not really things that we consume as food but they're very similar on every other aspect but there's a very important aspect that they distinctly uh differ and that's the capacity to to fix nitrogen for themselves. So essentially make food for themselves. So when farmers go to the garden, one of the things that we are always crying about is fertilizer and a major component of fertilizer is nitrogen and nitrate. Um, and yet there are some plants you know, in nature that have perfected the art of fixing their own nitrogen. So beans, for example, or legumes are known to, to do this. Now there's some plants that, while they're really, really similar, at at that really important aspect of being able to fix nitrogen they they differed and we wanted to understand molecularly what is it that makes them different um and part of that understanding is now then that becomes a tool so for instance we know that beans can fix nitrogen but maize can't wouldn't it be wonderful to have maize fix nitrogen and so one of the i'd say, my genetically engineered plant that I made while you know studying the systems was transferring now the genetic material, various chunks of genetic material from the plant that could fix nitrogen to the other plant that couldn't, even though they were very, very similar in almost every other aspect, right? And then to see whether I'm able to induce that characteristic in the target plant. And so... While I'm not, you know, always allowed to talk about all these aspects because there, you know, there are institutional um, restrictions. But, you know, that I'd say that's one of the first things I I I worked on without going into further detail.
0: Thanks for that. What does it mean to you for the GMO ban to be lifted in Kenya, as a Kenyan?
1: Right i I mean, I have to say, really, I'm quite thrilled I'm stoked beyond measure. One of the things i I was so worried about as a young scientist, so when I went to do my master's degree i started my master's degree in twenty twelve and that's exactly the time that this moratorium was put in place um that you know essentially stopped most of the research work in in genetic engineering as well as you know really growth and commercialization of any. Um, genetically engineered uh, produce and product in this country. I mean, I was just so that was very disappointing because you know, as a young scientist, you're essentially your view of the world is really just like the world is your oyster. You're going to experiment with all the things possible. You're going to query your environment. You're going to build systems that are resilient, uh, that can help your farming community. That can uh, can help your innovators come up with really interesting things for whether they're the solving problems in nutrition or you know, resilience to climate change uh disease resistance for both our livestock and in our crops and then all of a sudden you know there was a ban and i thought oh well this is the end of it so you know like what does you know what what opportunities then are there for people like me who are really curious about you know molecular biology and the tools the really fantastic tools that we could get uh to help us enhance our environment and our food production um system. so when this was lifted a couple of days ago i thought wow this is such a gift this is a gift not just to scientists like myself but really even just for our children uh when they think about the future and we're constantly talking about tech in the future but this is really part of tech i think that it's important that we don't limit the conversation to just food i think that there are so many other opportunities imagine the things that I, w- I was describing earlier about you know moving dna from one organism because it has a trait that we like to another we could be making products for our own consumption or even for export that contain material that naturally they don't. But now they, you know, once we move uh, the, that DNA material into the target organisms, it could be bacteria. We could be making bacteria that can degrade plastics around us, right? This is, this would be fantastic. But we couldn't do that with a GMO ban in place. So this is not just for for food. We could be making medicines that are just amazing. Right now, when we thought, when we think about the... Say the you know I think there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in naturally produced or naturally uh, sourced uh, um, uh, you know med- medicinals or medicinal plants and often the the drug or the limitation is that they they are compounded by so many other potentially toxic um, uh, compounds. And so it's very difficult to know what's the bioactive compound. And genetic modification can be really a very easy way to kind of just remove all that noise and target on what's the most important thing. And if we don't want to grow it in a plant that's cumbersome to grow, right? We can do it in an annual that takes three, four months to grow and. Boom! We've got our medication. So I think that it's very exciting, both to the research community. It's very exciting to you know innovators. It's very very exciting for our markets. Now we can open our markets as well. We're not just you know we're not just limited to oh we can only export organic material because that's the only stuff that we grow. We can now be exporting to you know to markets that are ready for genetically engineered uh, foods as well. So I I'd say I really am. Quite super, super stoked that this ban has been lifted. What message do you have to on anti-GMO? I, you know, I've listened to several arguments, and this is like for years, right? Because you you've got to learn this, and I think that at the beginning, when you're beginning to learn about genetic modification or engineering. It can be a very scary aspect especially when it has to do with things that are very core to the human existence like food and our food systems so i understand the fear i understand the fear very much and and some of the the arguments or some of the the you know the talking points that you hear quite often um are actually away from the science itself so they are about the social dynamics so once you understand like you know our local government you know you know, how, how how sure are we that we're going to be safe? And that safety includes, you know, our own um, farming systems, how safe are they going to be from this foreign conglomerates that could essentially come and, you know, wipe out our, our, our variety of, you know, seeds that are available to farmers. And those are legitimate concerns, but those are policy questions. And those are not scientific questions. And I think that a lot of people are, are mistakenly conflating those two things. So I understand concerns that have to do with the environment the ecosystem you know you know what if this you know we develop for instance a a, a corn seed that's just superb you know it has great yield it grows really fast it is disease resistant you know there's no such thing as fall armyworm because it's you know pest resistant and all the wonderful things that you can envision in your in your maize plant but then you know if we develop something like this essentially Every farmer would want it. I can't imagine a farmer who wouldn't want it and then progressively, what happens over time is that you know there's just very really little genetic diversity within our you know maize um collection. And there will be other challenges. you know pests are also very smart, they're constantly evolving, and so you know one day you'll have a huge you know new disease that then wipes out everything because every farmer is growing the exact same thing so those are really legitimate concerns, and I think that these are very useful conversations to have, but I think it's important to separate those concerns from uh, are we worried about the technology and if I'm worried about the technology, is it because I don't understand the technology, and if that's the case. Where do I get the information? Well, am I worried about the implementation and perhaps the impact it would have own the environment and our biodiversity and if that's the case what kind of steps do we need to take as a country and how do we protect our own biodiversity what are the entities that are um, you know tasked with ensuring that you know regardless of what's being developed we at minimum are keeping we have this in situ collections or we have the seed collections that ensure that you know we still have that biodiversity that's represented is it a policy question are we worried about you know this this the you know the the big ag coming and completely taking over our seed supply systems and what does that you know what is it that could be done and what are the entities that are tasked to 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 protect both the farmer and the businessman within the whole value chain that depend on the seed systems and the seed supply chain for their livelihood. And they need, I think generally we need to separate those questions. I understand some of these concerns and I think that we need to have those conversations separately. So I'll say that your concern to an an anti-GM person, your concerns are often, they are quite legitimate, but I think that you, perhaps you need to direct them to the right people or to the right agencies for your concerns to be um, either listened to and addressed.
0: Is there anything else that you'd like to add?
1: Yeah, um, I think I'd say that I think most people are quite afraid of things that they don't understand. Even I am often quite afraid of things that I don't understand and this can range from you know things in engineering to technology to when I hear things about you know astrophysics and the space and quantum energy I think oh my god are we gonna crash are we gonna you know like I I understand that new things and things that we don't have a deep understanding of can be quite scary Uh, but fear Fear has never really, um, it may slow down the progress of something, but has never really stopped um, advancements, especially in, in the technological world. So my suggestion to uh, folks that are, you know, they feel fearful about, uh, you know, genetic engineering because they feel like, oh, our food systems are now no longer under our control, to embrace the opportunity to learn. Not so much embrace genetically engineered foods or you know organisms or just the technology overall, but to embrace the opportunity to learn and we can only together as a society be better. You know from this, if we decide collectively that this is not it's not worth the risk, right? We take the 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 step of what we call the precautionary principle. This is not just worth the risk. Then okay, then we explore what other opportunities there are for this is not a this is a, not a. a um, zero-sum we can there are so many other opportunities just that this is one of the tools and an exciting tool nonetheless
0: have you ever eaten a gym yourself
1: oh severally oh my goodness i lived abroad for so many years and i intentionally out of principle refused to buy organic foods because i just think that the niche is based on misinformation and not really on on on, on science uh, um obviously i'm a scientist and i'm a big fan of all things science and and so i loved everything that i mean like if i think oh there's so many people over the last 20 years who've put in hard work to develop a a tomato that can stay on the shelf for four weeks i'm gonna eat that tomato absolutely i have eaten so many genetically modified foods i couldn't begin to count
0: that's susan for you do you have a question comment about what she just said, tag us on social media at Scientist or The Vulnerable Scientist. In the following episodes, you will hear voices from typical scientists, uh, Kenyans, farmers, and even someone who has been a GMO regulator for a very long period of time here in Kenya. Stick with us to hear from those people. (music) To support or learn more about this show, go to TheVulnerableScientist.com and you can see how you can be part of us. Till next time, Goodbye!